Well, good morning. Great to be with you today. So glad whether you are at home, online, or whether you're here on campus, we're thrilled that you have chosen to worship with us today as we kick off a brand new sermon series that we are calling Reframe. You know, whether you're speaking literally or figuratively, the, the purpose of a frame is to bring shape to something. It, it provides the, the border, the outline, the, the boundaries, if you will. It clearly defines what is in and what is out. And in this sermon series, what we're wanting to do is reframe our understanding of and our experience of our faith, of Christianity. Now, to be clear, we are not going to be reframing Christianity itself. Truth is truth and never changes. God's word never changes. But we do from time to time desperately need to reframe our own personal understanding and experience of our faith. Because we're broken creatures and even under the best of circumstances, things can get a little bent out of shape. And certainly in a year like 2020, where we have been pummeled in so many different ways, odds are our thinking and our experience of our faith has gotten just a little askew. And so here at the beginning of the year, we felt like reframing was a great way to begin thinking and living as Christians. And to guide our thinking, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, otherwise known as the book of Ephesians. And this is really the, the perfect part of scripture for us to study in these days. Because in this letter, Paul does some reframing. You see, in AD 54, Paul planted that church at Ephesus. He was the founding pastor, much as Pastor Ken is the founding pastor of Faithbridge. And he loved that little church dearly. Eight years later, he was in the city of Rome and decided to write his beloved church a letter for the express purpose of doing some reframing, of just reminding them, hey guys, it's been a while since I was with you, just to remind you, here are some of the basics of the faith. Here are some things that you desperately need to remember and hold on to and not forget. It's easy for us to adopt a different frame of reference when it comes to living life with all of the challenges that we face. But there is no more true frame of reference we will ever find than the, God, uh, than the Word of God. As Duffy said to us last week, his words are trustworthy and true. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. If you're at home and want to go ahead and open your Bibles, if you're here, we're in chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Paul writes these words. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. 
He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be in your house to worship the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and the power of your Holy Spirit. As we turn our attention now to your written word, we pray that your spirit would be our teacher, just as you promised, and guide us into all truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There are three truths from this passage, three reframing truths in this passage that I want to lift up this morning, primarily because they run uh, completely counter to the messages that we are getting from this world. We desperately need to reframe our thinking from time to time because, you see, the world has a completely different message for us. Whether we are aware of it or not, the world is speaking to us 24-7. We live in the information age, if you will. And... 24-7, our brains are being assaulted by TV, radio, internet, print, constantly telling us what is true, how we should think, shaping our thinking about most everything, whether it's politics, the economy, race relations, you name it, the world has its opinions coming at us all the time. But God has his own thoughts about how things ought to be. And if we're going to be right thinking and right living in our faith, we do have to pull off the road every now and again for a little reframing. And the first reframing thought that I want to share with you this morning comes from this passage here in Ephesians. You know, it it, it occurs to me, we live in a pick-me world. But God says we are chosen. We live in a pick-me world, but God says we are chosen. Now, here's what I mean by that. Deep in the heart of every human being is a desperate desire to be chosen. We all want to be valued, validated, accepted. I mean, every kid who ever stepped onto a playground knows the thrill of being picked for a team or the agony of being rejected. And whether it's uh, a special date that we want to be chosen for, a promotion, a special award, or maybe we desperately want to be chosen to be somebody's spouse, whatever the case may be, we are a people who walk through life with our hands in the air and our hearts beating, petitioning, saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. And that's fine as far as it goes. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be validated until that desire, that need, begins to form the basis for our value and our worth as a human being. And that's exactly what the world would have us believe, that our worth, our value is tied directly to how pickable we are. How choosable we are. How desirable we are. That's what determines our worth and our value. But Jesus has none of it. We don't have to think 
that way. Our culture has bought into that notion whole hog as evidenced by so-called reality shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette where human beings will denigrate themselves in order to be chosen. But Jesus says you don't have to do anything like that because you already are chosen. Even before the creation of the world, I chose you. I chose you because I love you. And you don't have to do anything in this world to earn it. You don't have to try to be good enough. You don't have to work hard. There's nothing you have to pay. It is absolutely free. Your chosenness is based on nothing more and nothing less than the unconditional, undeserved, gracious love of God. It is a free gift that was offered to you even before you were born. Now, I know even as I say that, there are some individuals among us who think to themselves, you know, that almost sounds too good to be true. I mean, nothing's free. But it really is. The gracious gift of God, his chosenness of us is absolutely free. There is no catch at all. There is a purpose, but there's no catch. Because you see, purpose and chosenness always go together. You, you, you can't have the one without the other. Here, here's what I mean by that. Let me tell you about something that I am sure you have never seen. You, you have never seen a child on a playground hopping up and down, waving his or her arms, desperately pleading, pick me, pick me, get picked, only to then sit down and say, well, I didn't really want to play the game. I just wanted to be picked. That doesn't happen. You, you've never seen a young lady Flash her engagement ring to the whole wide world filled with pride and love and happiness only to then say, well, I, I don't really want to get married. I just wanted to be chosen. That, that doesn't happen. Why? Because there is purpose to chosenness. There is a reason why we are chosen. And Paul is very upfront about it in what we just read. You and I are chosen to be holy we are chosen to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, that's a daunting thought. Holy is one of those kind of words that, for many people, where are you going with that? But friends, holy really means nothing more than to be set apart, to be different. Not different weird, but different because we are chosen. Different because we are in a relationship with Jesus. We're different because we have changed the frame of reference in our life. No longer are we living by what the world says our priorities are. No longer are we living by our own desires, but now Jesus has become our frame of reference. We build our lives around him, and what he says is in is in, and what he says is out is out. He becomes the focal point of our lives. And it's important to understand that, you know, Jesus does not desire to be our frame of reference out of some weird need to control us. He doesn't get anything special out of being our boss, if you will. No, the only reason Jesus wants us to build our lives around him 
is the same reason that he chose us, because he loves us. He knows that the only way to have a life worth living is a life that's built upon a relationship with him. A life that understands, apart from you, Lord, I am nothing. But with you, I have all things. I truly have life in all of its fullness, as he promised we would have. We live in a pick-me world. And I see far too many people walking through this world with their hands out, just begging someone to pick them for anything. Validate them somehow, please. But the good news I have to share with you this morning is that we don't have to do that. No one has to do that because we have already been chosen as recipients of God's love. Another message that the world sends to us on a very regular basis is you're on your own. You're on your own. But God's word says we are adopted. We're claimed. We're not only chosen, we're adopted. At our house, uh, my girls, my three daughters, have come to detest the word yo-yo. Because as it relates to dinner, yo-yo means you're on your own. When mom, and I freely admit, mom cooks all the dinners at our house. When mom has had a full and difficult day, that is a yo-yo day. You're on your own. The world says the same thing to us. You're on your own. But in our culture, it isn't anything that anyone is afraid of. No, it's a badge of honor. We lift up and admire the so-called self-made man, self-made woman. The one who got there on their own. The one who has set their own agenda. The one who lives life on their own terms. That's the model. That's the example that the world lifts up. The Lone Ranger. The one who can do it all on their own. The only problem with that approach to life is it's a lie. There is no such thing as a self-made person. None of us came into this world on our own. We didn't have any say in the matter. And none of us are capable of sustaining our lives indefinitely. No, we are dependent creatures. It's just a matter of what we're going to be dependent upon or who we're going to be dependent upon. And yet so many of us are slugging through life as though I've got to do this. I've got to make it happen. I've got to accomplish it. I've somehow got to bring meaning and purpose to my life. God says, no. The good news is, I've adopted you. I've not only chosen you, I've adopted you and I have brought you into my family. Adoption is a, a, a beautiful thing, whether we're talking about the adoption of a child here or God's adoption of us as his children. And it extends incredible blessings and privileges to the recipient. A home, community, safety, and security. But there's one privilege in particular that I, I want us to think about for a few minutes this morning. And that is the privilege of getting a name. 
a name. It's, it, it's the name that identifies us as a member of the family. That's what says to the world, I have been adopted. I have the name. And because I have the name, I have access to all of the rights and the privileges therein of being a part of that family. But of course, with every privilege comes a responsibility, doesn't it? And whoever has the privilege of a name has the responsibility to bear that name then with honor so as to not bring dishonor upon the family that so graciously brought us in. And in a similar way, when we are adopted into God's family, we are given a name. We are called Christians, Christians. We have the name of Christ attached to us. We belong to him. He has given us his name. But we also then have the responsibility of bearing that name with honor to the world. There is truth in the old saying that for some people, you are the only Jesus that they will ever see. Now, that's a huge responsibility. The privilege of bearing Christ's name is a huge responsibility with many facets and aspects, but I, I want to lift up just one this morning because I think it is appropriate for the day in which we live. One of our primary responsibilities as a person who bears the name of Jesus is to be persons of peace. Jesus is identified in the Bible as the Prince of Peace. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. Now, did you catch that? Right there, Jesus is saying, The way you know someone is in my family is that they are a peacemaker. They are a person of peace. It identifies them as one of mine. How do we live that out in everyday life? Well, in my 58 years, which I understand is more than some of you and less than others, but in my 58 years, I've never known a time when our nation was so divided about everything. Politics, economics, race, spirituality, you name it. And I'm not just talking about, you know, we have disagreements. We have differences of opinion. No, there are deep, deep fissures in our society right now. We are becoming alienated from one another. We are becoming estranged from one another. And it is in to that situation in which we presently find ourselves that Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. The word in the Bible for peace is the word shalom. The word shalom simply means wholeness. Wholeness. Jesus is calling us to be persons of healing and wholeness in our society. That doesn't mean that people of peace all walk in lockstep, that we never disagree with one another, that we never have conflict. No, not at all. But what it does mean is that even in the midst of our differences of opinion, we show forth love and kindness and respect to one another. 
We may have different viewpoints, but we maintain the whole. This quilt is made up of all kinds of different patterns and colors and patches, but it is whole. It is one. And I believe that Christ is calling us in these very difficult days to step out, to step up, We talked about being holy, about being different. One way that we can be different is to bring healing and wholeness to our divided society. That doesn't mean we all have to think exactly the same, but it does mean we all show forth the love of Jesus in ways that bring healing and wholeness to individual lives and to our nation as a whole. We live in a pick-me world, but Jesus says, I choose you. We live in a world that says, you're on your own. But Jesus says, no, 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 I've adopted you. You, You're mine. And then finally, we live in a world where our brokenness identifies who we are. Our brokenness is the mark of our life. Our brokenness says, you don't matter. The very fact that you are broken is indicative of the fact that you don't matter. You're just one of the some 100 plus billion people that have ever lived. Nothing special about you or me or anybody else. I mean, here today, gone tomorrow. If all our lives amount to is the, the dash on a tombstone between our birth date and our death date, can we really honestly think that our lives have meaning and purpose? Well, if you look at it from that perspective, from the world's perspective, no, absolutely, they don't. If we're just here today and gone tomorrow and that's the end of the story, then yeah, we might as well live like the Epicureans of ancient Greece, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But God has a different message, a different frame of reference. God says, you matter, and I'll prove it to you. And I'll prove it to you by giving you my only son that he might die for you. Each one of us in our own way have chosen to walk away from God. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, we have all, to varying degrees, adopted the yo-yo mentality. I'm on my own. Thanks, God, but no thanks. The same lie that the serpent told Adam and Eve in the garden, you don't need God. You're fine, just like you are. They bought into that lie, and sin came into the world, and death became a part of the human experience. But God loved us so much that he was not going to leave us there. God became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. He walked among us. He taught us. He healed us. He loved us. And then in the final act of unbelievable self-denial and love and proof that our lives matter and have meaning he laid down his life for us 
He lived the life that we could never live, and he died the death that we all deserve so that we could know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God loves me. He's chosen me. He's adopted me. He's even laid down his life for me so that I might know I have value and worth and my life has purpose and meaning in my relationship with him. So I ask you this morning, what, what is your frame of reference these days? What voices are you listening to? What's shaping the way you think and the way you live? Is it what the world has to say? Or is it what the Word of God has to say? I can promise you this. If the world is our frame of reference, death is all that awaits us. But if Jesus becomes our frame of reference and we live in the knowledge and in the fact that we have been chosen, adopted, and redeemed, bought by His blood, then life in all of its beauty is available to each one of us. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And for those of us that are on campus, we are then going to move into a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And for those of you that are online, uh, Pastor Ken will close out the service with a special word that he has for you. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to reconsider who we are and who you are. And I pray, oh God, that in the deepest places of our heart, you would remind us that we matter to you and that you have gone to great lengths to choose us, to adopt us, and to redeem us. I pray that those truths, more than any other truth the world would offer us, would in fact shape us, mold us, cause us to be the men and women you've created and called us to be. And we offer our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.